Weird Stuff Podcast Network. Welcome to the world according to Wikipedia. The podcast that explores the weird, wonderful and baffling world of Wikipedia. The people who write it and what makes them tick. With me, Fanula. And me, Rebecca. So then, uh, why are we here? Let me ask you this. Have you ever wondered how Wikipedia works? Mm. Bearing in mind that if you say no... This is going to be the shortest podcast series ever released. In that instance, then, I am very much interested. Excellent. The idea is that in this show, we will take a deep dive into the world of Wikipedia, exploring, and stay with me on this tortured metaphor, the rough seas and calm backwaters that make Wikipedia what it is today. Every episode, we're going to take one aspect of Wikipedia, discuss and dissect it. We'll have an interview with an expert, and hopefully at the end of it all, we'll have it, I will have a deeper understanding of Wikipedia, and you will too, dear listeners. The interviews will range from old school Wikipedia editors, more recent recruits and many of the people who work and advocate for Wikipedia and other Wikimedia projects on a day to day basis. So why you, Rebecca? Of all the people in the world, why sit at our at our knee and listen? Um, well, so I'm Rebecca O'Neill. I have been an editor uh, for nine years uh, on Wikipedia and I did part of my PhD was studying Wikipedia. Uh, I was a founding member of the local Wikimedia group. Um, Wikimedia Community Ireland and of course what that is and how it functions in the, in the great world of Wikipedia is something that we will uh, leave for another day but we'll come back to it. Uh, but I now work for that group here in Ireland. I've made um, over 7,500 edits to Wikipedia. I've uploaded over 700 images and yesterday I wrote my 504th article. That's very impressive, Rebecca. I am not quite as impressive. Uh, my name is Fanula Murphy. I am a user of Wikipedia, not a contributor. I have used it in my research for my master's and for my higher diploma. I've only edited one or maybe two articles. I've definitely edited one list. I remember doing that. I can't remember what the list was, but I have definitely done one. Um, I, I have used Wikidata um, for my projects and I think I probably have more experience and the Wikidata side of things than Rebecca might. Um, but other than that, I'm mostly a layperson when it comes to Wikipedia. So I am going to be learning along with the rest of you. With that in mind, for this episode, we're going to talk to the veteran Wikipedian, Andrew Lee. Or for those of us in the wiki world, Fuzz Hedda. Andrew Lee is a long-term veteran Wikipedian. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a, He's an advocate for the community. And he has also written the book, The Wikipedia Revolution, which is about telling the story of Wikipedia. As he sets it out, everybody uses Wikipedia. You know, it's it's there in the background. But does anybody really know about how it came to be, the ins and the outs? Some of the scandals, some of There's the missteps. Scandals. There are scandals, there are missteps, there are community revolts, there are forks, which, trust me, are more exciting than they sound. Okay. But before that, before the two feet into the deep end with Andrew, we're going to explore some of the... Uh, the nuances of Wikipedia. And one of the things that we're going to look at in each episode is a random Wikipedia rule of the week. Just a rule. A rule. A rule. And we're going to start it off with the fact that Wikipedia actually fundamentally has no rules. So if we're going to be looking at each episode at a rule, how do we do that when there are no rules? This is madness. Is like Wikipedia anarchy on the internet. Well, I mean, okay, tell me. Wikipedia is not an anarchy, a democracy or a bureaucracy. Don't get me started on that. <laughs> But one of the fundamental, uh, I suppose, guiding principles of Wikipedia is that at any given time, any of the things that we've developed as, you know, guidelines and stuff like that is up for debate. But there are five immutable facts, things that are unmovable about Wikipedia, that they will never change. But they're not rules. They are pillars. Semantics? Definitely. (laughs) Welcome to the world of Wikipedia. Okay, okay. Tell me, tell me what these pillars, not rules, pillars are. Go on. 
founding founding principles, the pillars that we all stand upon, is that one, Wikipedia is an encyclopedia. Okay. Doesn't want to do anything else. Doesn't want to be a social network, a soapbox, a news outlet, nothing like that. Two, mm-hmm. it is written from the neutral point of view. Okay. Or NPOV, as we love to say. Okay, so it's like one has done this. How, what, explain this neutral point of view. So the idea of a neutral point of view is that um, you're not using emotive language or attempting to um, put forward one particular argument. So I can't say, for example, that Bill and Ted are the best band in the world because that is my opinion. It's not a it's not an immut- immutable, immutable fact. Exactly. Unless you find like, I don't know, Mark Commode or something like that, you know, one of those really fancy film critics and you can use his quote saying Bill and Ted are the best band in the entire world and you can put it in quotes and use your citation. Okay. So you as an individual editor are not putting in your opinion bias, speculation, anything like that. So this is a lot like writing a thesis. One has to argue, somebody else has argued a point and that's just, okay. Exactly. Got you. Um, So number three, Mm -hmm. it is free content that anybody can use, edit and distribute. So free, I mean, I I see them putting up like... um, Requests for money frequently on, on Wikipedia, but it, it's itself, I can go onto Wikipedia, I can use all of that information for free. Yeah. So it's all published under an open license. Mm-hmm. So if we wanted to, you know, today, if we wanted to download 10 articles, put them in a book, you know, publish it, sell it. There's nothing stopping us under the Creative Commons license okay. that it's issued under. But very early on, there were discussions about putting advertising on Wikipedia or perhaps would it disappear behind a paywall or something like that before the project really kind of matured to the point where it knew its own identity. So this was kind of set in stone, as it were, to ensure that the content was never going to be taken away from the community and was never going to be used for profit mm-hmm. or paywalled or kind of harvested away in a way that, you know, the community wouldn't wouldn't agree with. That's interesting. So number four, editors should treat each other with respect and civility. AKA assume good faith. So this is on the internet. Uh, yes, where famously everybody gets along exceptionally well. There's never any uh, issues around, you know, flame wars or trolling or any of those wonderful words that nobody would ever associate with the internet. Yeah, I'm just just pointing out to you that like civility and respect on the internet. It is aspirational. Okay, I'll so, give you that. So this is a, a pillar, not a rule. Therefore. The idea is attempting to have, I suppose, a friendly atmosphere in which editors can partake. This is, a lot of Wikipedians would see this as very much aspirational. This is not something that happens on a day-to-day basis. And obviously, when you're discussing with people purely in text uh, on the internet, nuance is not always your friend. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, winky faces and smiley faces will only get you so far. Um, So it's what we're aiming towards is not always what we achieve. Okay. Okay. And that's four. You said there was five... Number five, Wikipedia has no firm rules, aside from the p- pillars set out today. Yeah. So I have issues with the fact that there are no rules when clearly there are at least five. Explain this one further. So the idea is that um, there's lots of guidelines and style guides and policies. There's policies around how do you write a biography of a living person? Um, how do you write about... How do you come to consensus when the name of a place is uh, contested? So mm. should it be Gdansk or Gdansk? Should it be Kiev spelt in the Ukrainian way or in the Anglophone way? Should it be Derry or Londonderry? Mm-hmm. <laughs> all of these fun things that we decide upon. Um, but the idea is that the, all the processes that we have, it's all supposed to be by consensus. So mm-hmm. somebody, if you want to change something, you could put forward um, 
um, a, an AFC, as we call it, or kind of a, a request for discussion. And if enough people agreed with you, you know, they, they accept or reject your proposal, then that policy can change. OK. So if there's enough momentum behind change, it can happen. OK. So it is a it is a slow moving beast. It will it can change. It just needs the force of the people who edit it to make it happen. And if you think about it a little bit like local government, the people who are also interested in engaging with the processes that allow for that change, which right. is not everybody who edits Wikipedia on a day-to-day basis. Okay. It's a select niche few, I think. It is. And there is an element of the old wall of text there as well. So how yeah. willing are you to pin yourself to the collar having read all of this documentation? Much like going to a town hall and submitting, you know, reams of bureaucracy. It is a particular kind of person that likes okay. these particular backwaters. This has been very educational. <laughs> I can't wait to go into these things in a little bit more detail in the upcoming episodes. Excellent. With that in mind, we'll now go and chat to Andrew. Hi, I'm Andrew Lee. I'm an author, Wikipedia editor, administrator, and also a scholar around Wikipedia and online knowledge. Uh, currently, I am working with a number of museums in the area of knowledge management and uploading their collections to Wikipedia and its associated projects. Most recently, I've been working with the Metropolitan Museum of Art and with the Smithsonian Institution in the United States. So I'm intensely interested in this whole idea of knowledge in the public interest, which has brought me from computer scientist and developer to journalism professor to now a field that really has no definition, but I like to frame it as knowledge in the public interest, which brings together all these things of how do we provide the best facts and knowledge for the public to make better decisions in their uh, in their societies. I've been revisiting your book recently. I, I read it as part of my PhD uh, a few years ago now, so I was refreshing myself. And one of the things that struck me is that, A, it was the Wikipedia revolution was the first time the story of Wikipedia was told as a story, as opposed to, I suppose, a tech uh, initiative or, you know, another framing of it. Um, and in the, the very first page, you say that you feel that people are still not aware of this story uh, of Wikipedia. Do you think that much has changed in the 11 years since that was published? That's a good question. I, I think that most people don't know the story of Wikipedia very well, mainly because there's no consistent way of experiencing Wikipedia, right? Even if you compare it to the traditional printed encyclopedia, you know, you kind of approach a bookshelf with all the tomes staring at you, and then you have to decide, do I choose the D volume or the F volume, and then you have to leap through the pages. So that's, that path is pretty much the same for anyone, right? You kind of approach it from alphabetical listing, uh, and then you go and find the information, and even some of the more used pages will pop out at you first because they're creased or the binding is cracked to that opening. But with Wikipedia, it's completely different, right? And in fact, as we now have mobiles and Google and social media, people experience it in wildly different ways. In fact, people are experiencing it in ways that they don't even know they're experiencing Wikipedia, but they're getting answers from it. Or they're seeing things in the style of Wikipedia, even if they don't know what Wikipedia is per se. So I think it is true that most people don't really know the origins of it, or even these days, even know how it came to be from the traditional encyclopedia uh, background to where it is today. So I find that fascinating. I don't see it as a bad thing or a good thing. I just find it so fascinating that even in the 20-year history of Wikipedia, the nature of the audience has changed. You know, we, we have kids now, and my kids especially, they've never known a world without Wikipedia. 
and have never known the printed encyclopedia, except for maybe like a picture encyclopedia today. So uh, I, I've been considering starting a, a whole podcast series, just kind of how do you ex- how do you experience the old encyclopedia? Like even just reading through entries and showing how we used to have like plastic overlays and you accessed everything alphabetically, because that's very foreign to most people. In the past 20 years, most other encyclopedias, as we discovered, apart from the World Book, which still has a, a paper version uh, that it still prints, <laughs> uh, most other encyclopedias have gone digital. Uh, and do you think that that was that quite a radical change for Wikipedia in that it kind of went from, a, a, I suppose, an environment where it was uh, almost novel to have such a large encyclopedia digitally. Um, but now it's one of many. I think so. And I think what's curious is that, you know, ever since Wikipedia kind of saw its, I don't want to quite say its peak, but I'd say peak growth, right? We kind of saw that it started in 2001 and it kind of had peak growth in 2007, 2008. So it's not to say it's shrinking, but the growth has slowed down. And that certainly makes sense if you think about how much catch-up work we had to do when we started from zero articles in 2001 to 2007. So I know that a lot of people had seen it as going always higher. But then it did kind of plateau in terms of how many contributors were in our community. And I think that's natural now that we look back on it. We were kind of panicked at the time as to what it meant for the world of encyclopedias and Wikipedia. What I think is fascinating is that Wikipedia is basically has no competitors right now. You know, the two commercial competitors, at least in the English language world, Britannica and Microsoft's Encarta, which was, you know, at one time bundled in with every PC that was sold, which certainly made for uh, an easy way to be popular. You know, those two have been pretty much relegated to the back seat of where knowledge is. It helps that Wikipedia is free. It's in 200 languages. And it certainly is at the tip of everyone's tongue if you're doing searches. But what's curious to me is that um, there has been no competitors in the commercial domain or the nonprofit domain. And that's pretty fascinating to me. Um, I wish there actually was more competition. You know, Wikipedia actually should be pressed more. I always tell folks that I'm kind of disappointed that Wikipedia is still very much a text-based product. right? And even though my book is called The Wikipedia Revolution, I definitely believe that there was a revolution in how it was created. It was a revolution in recreating the traditional encyclopedia. <laughs> in fact, if you go to the pages of Wikipedia, uh, and I've made this argument quite a number of times, when you go to the article about football or dance or or music, the first thing you should see probably is a video showing how ballet or jazz, da- uh, how, how these things are all done. Yet you don't. And in fact, if you try to put a video into the article, you normally get shouted down by our editors saying, serious encyclopedias are written. That video is all frivolous stuff. You know, that's for children's encyclopedias. So believe it or not, that that attitude is still very much the majority attitude in Wikipedia. And that's disappointing to me. So in many ways, Wikipedia is dominant. But I also wish it wasn't so dominant because we do have kind of this ingrained culture that the written text of the encyclopedia is the most rich and interesting and important part. Yet we're leaving a lot of folks behind who are not either literate or deep readers of content. We know from YouTube and social media, that video is such a powerful medium, yet we're not embracing the visual domain with a lot of what we do in Wikipedia. So you've already kind of touched on this. I mean, as I suppose generationally, we move away further and further from people having a touchstone of the paper encyclopedia. You know, it's not going to be, you know, you kind of, you relayed the story of, of Jimmy Wales and kind of the experience of growing up with and how formative an encyclopedia can be in the curiosity of children and things like that. Um, do you think that not having that touchstone will perhaps 
compound some of the issues going forward when it comes to getting new editors and people engaged actually creating content for Wikipedia and, and understanding what Wikipedia is about. Yeah, I think even in the 19 going on 20 years of Wikipedia's history, we've seen several generations. And this is not simply age of the consumers, but also what kind of platforms we have, what's the prevailing internet culture, um, or even more, it's, we're not even talking internet anymore, right? When you run an app on your mobile, are you really accessing the internet? It's just some portal that pops up on your mobile, right? So I think that's a major shift too. Uh, that is certainly one of the biggest shifts in how Wikipedia has experienced over the last 20 years is that we are now mobile majority. Pretty much every platform or every product is mobile majority. Most people experience it on their mobiles. So even though the vast majority of Wikipedia editors and contributors edit on a pretty large screen laptop or desktop, we have five windows, 10, 20 windows open um, to research stuff, whatever. Most consumers are reading on a tiny screen looking for one answer and maybe not partaking in the rich gigantic tapestry of Wikipedia, which we normally saw in the early days of Wikipedia. So I think there needs to be a lot more study in this area. There have been some to say, you know, when the vast majority of users are using mobile and the vast majority of writers are using a big screen, we are seeing a big disconnect between uh, whether we're serving the readers in a way that we understand. So I think that is certainly something for concern. And more people are getting the answers from Google, which are supplied from Wikipedia, but never experiencing Wikipedia itself and maybe never seeing that you can edit, you can contribute, please help. Uh, that's something to be concerned about as well in terms of finding more volunteer contributors. Yeah. yeah. And, and related to that, it, we, we kind of see Wikipedia as kind of an always virtuous endeavor. But we're seeing that there have been some pushbacks in places like India and other countries. We saw that there was a project recently to... Uh, provide free, or what they call it, zero-rated access to Wikipedia for folks using mobile phones in Africa and certain countries. But even this seemingly win-win altruistic endeavor has had pushback. And I think after you look at it, you can see their point saying that, well, if Wikipedia is free to access from these countries, that means that any kind of domestic uh, startup or domestic uh, endeavor to further better understanding of their own culture, their language, is overshadowed by this gigantic well-resourced project called Wikipedia. And that can be very dangerous as well. So I think the folks in India who push back on, you know, Wikipedia having these what we call zero-rated services had a legitimate gripe saying that, hey, if Wikipedia becomes so dominant in India, we don't actually have our own people telling our own story within India. And um, as someone who uh, helps organize the, the Celtic Knot Conference, I'm sure you understand some of these sensitivities, right? Like, who are these outsiders to dominate the landscape of these smaller language communities that don't have a say in how their culture is represented. One of the things that kind of thinking about, I suppose, the struggles that a new editor might have in, in finding their path or the, their way in the, in the, in the wiki world um, is that they, they might try and add perhaps the wrong type of content or, or yeah, I suppose wrong in a very kind of pejorative sense, but um, <laughs> uh, in, in the subject that they're writing about, itself or the sources that they use. Um, do you think that the, um, the perhaps not necessarily thinking about Wikipedia as an encyclopedia and putting it on the same virtual shelf as, as Britannica and things like that is one of the issues? Or is it just a kind of more of a fundamental misunderstanding of, of the mission? Um, or what do you think is kind of the main stumbling block there? Yeah, they, that's a good question. One of the famous sayings in Wikipedia is that there are no firm rules, right? 
there's actually a rule that's called ignore all rules. So it certainly starts out with this whole um, don't let our past structures or our apparent rigidity stop you from trying stuff. And that was great to get Wikipedia off the ground in 2001 when no one knew whether it would even work or not. It was simply uh, an alternative to a very traditional, traditionally structured encyclopedia project called Newpedia. So Wikipedia was started in 2001 as a, ah, Newpedia is failing. Let's just try this thing out and see if people, you know, like bees built this hive out of nothing. And it was remarkably successful because of this lack of any firm rules. And that tradition still is there in Wikipedia, although we do have tons of rules. Uh, we have tons of instruction. We have tons of policy. But fundamentally, we still kind of encourage folks to try their hand at stuff that they may not be expert at or may not know much about at all. Um, so that is kind of nice that we still have that ingrained in our community. But you're right in that it does provide some, uh, I don't want to say hilarity, but it provides for some tough times sometimes in our community where we have people wholly, uh, wholly unsuited for doing things to start things up. Uh, but it might inspire folks uh, to do things that do know what they're doing. So I think on balance, it has been a positive ethos that we have in our community, but it has, uh, you know, spawned this uh, criticism of Wikipedia as, you know, the cult of the amateur or folks who uh, self-identify but may have too much of an opinion of themselves, right? The Dunning-Kruger effect of over-evaluating one's capabilities. Uh, but on balance, we've built this thing from nothing into the most dominant reference work in the world. So I am as quick as anyone to say, yeah, but we've got some problems in this community. But it's hard to see what has been done in the last 19 years and say it hasn't been overall a huge success. We're going to take a quick break now to hear a little bit about one of the other fantastic shows on the Headstuff Podcast Network. I'm Connor Reed with words to that effect. How do the Victorians invent time? Where do all those pirate cliches come from? Should we all read romance novels? Why are kids so obsessed with dinosaurs? What makes the perfect detective story? We just have to go and solve this crime ourselves. What happens to culture and society in a post-apocalyptic world where everything has stopped? Words to that effect tell stories of the fiction that shapes popular culture. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts and at wttepodcast.com. And now, back to the show. There was an excellent interview with Andrew there. It was fantastic. He's, he's an absolute joy to talk to. His enthusiasm is infectious. And, um, you know, I've met him several times over the years and really enjoyed uh, chatting with him. And we did talk for considerably longer than that and didn't record all of it. So you'd be, you'd be glad to hear that you didn't have to listen through every single last second. Of yes, it. but we do have a lot of extras there that we might be able to include in bonus episodes down the line. Um, but now we're going to move on to something a little bit different. Um, every episode, we're going to look at something that's been in the news about Wikipedia, um, a wiki hero or wiki story. And uh, this one is interesting in that it talks about Scott's Wikipedia. Rebecca, you have the ska. I do indeed. So Scott's Wikipedia has um, had the dubious honour of gaining headlines in the past, I suppose, month or so. Mm -hmm. um, it came to, as as happens with all of these things on the internet these days, it started on a Reddit uh, subboard when a particular uh, Redditor 
brought it to the attention that the Scots uh, language Wikipedia was, um, uh, to, to use internet parlance, a dumpster fire. Um, they had unpicked um, Scots Wikipedia. They couldn't understand why it was of such poor quality. Okay. So like the grammar was terrible. Both the people within the Scots language community knew it was terrible and then it was used as a bit of a stick to beat them as well, kind of saying that it's not a proper language. It's just, uh, you know, English with an accent. Can I just clarify, Scots... Uh, in Scots language is different to Gaelic. It is, yes. Yeah. So there's a Scots Gaelic Wikipedia and there's a Scots Wikipedia. So Scots is like the poetry of Robert Burns. Okay. So it's closer in its form to Old English. Right. Um, and is somewhat intelligible um, written to okay. an English speaker. Uh, but it was known for a long, long time that the quality on this Wikipedia was absolutely dreadful. So this particular register basically investigated to see how it was that this particular Wikipedia was of such poor quality. And they discovered that one single editor was responsible for 42% of the content <laughs> okay. on Scots language Wikipedia. So when we were talking previously about people who have a lot of time in their hands or might have a niche interest, this is the, the plus and minus of it. You know. Exactly. There, there is light and there is dark. And this yeah. is definitely the dark side to it where... Um, on a small language Wikipedia where you don't have an, a huge amount of people engaged with the language, so then the people who are going to engage with the Wikipedia is going to be an even smaller percentage yes. again. It can. Ha- this is the worst case scenario where one editor can basically kind of go a little bit rogue. And bless him, he had the best intentions at heart. Uh, he has OCD and at the tender age of 13 started editing uh, Scott's Wikipedia and thought that he was doing good. Okay. So he kind of did a find and replace type thing. So he would take the English language content and then just kind of find and replace words into the mm-hmm. Scots. Um, so, as I said, the grammar was all broken. The syntax of the sentence were, wasn't right. Um, so it just did look as if somebody had phonetically written out right. a very okay. strong Scottish accent, <laughs> which is not what Scots <laughs> That's is. That's not what Scots is. Okay. It turns out. So this kind of made a bit of a splash uh, in late in late August and it led to an awful lot of discussion about what should be done about it, basically. Mm. So one person actually just said, just nuke it, just kill. There's, you know, there's over five, you know, there's like 55,000 articles on Scots. If half of those are trash, yeah, should we just... Bin the whole thing. Exactly, start over. But the argument from the other side was that if we do that, it'll probably never start again. Right. It was quite impressive for such a small language to get a Wikipedia in the first place. So you don't necessarily want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Pressing the self-destruct button at this yeah, point, yeah. which just possibly means it's never going to Happen resurrect. Again, yeah. So the good news story out of this, you're probably wondering, where's the hero? <laughs> <laughs> well, I presume the hero was the dude on Reddit who investigated. Well, there is that. Um, but what's wonderful is uh, the Scots Language Centre okay. and the Association for the Scots Language have basically kind of stepped up. And in the month since this story broke, they have already... as held their first, what we refer to as an edit-a-thon, okay. which is, tends to be in normal times a physical event, but in these days was a virtual one, um, where 30 people attended in a virtual room and learned how to edit Wikipedia. Um, so the people with the Scots language who would be able to make meaningful changes, mm-hmm. basically. So if you think about, you know, you're like, oh, 30 people, that's absolutely fantastic. There was 18,700 upvotes in the Reddit <laughs> post about this. So, you know, the amount of, again, we're talking about the percentage of people who are perhaps going to be activated as opposed to people who are just going to be outraged online. It's not always a Venn diagram with a huge amount of overlap. No, but again, as you were saying, there is X amount of people who are involved in the Scots language community and then X amount who might be digitally active uh, enough to edit a Wikipedia article. I mean, I'm an active online and I don't edit the English language 
Wikipedia. So I think that's pretty impressive, you know. Yeah, so they've started doing things like um, adding what we refer to as like maintenance banners, like saying like, this is this article is not of very good quality. Could you could you help? Basically, okay. so kind of putting um, the kind of tags that you'd be familiar with on English language Wikipedia, kind of just letting people know that there might be issues with the content you're about to read. So, but also kind of trying to draw those who are reading Scots mm-hmm. Wikipedia into perhaps, well, if you notice a grammatical error, here's the edit button. This is how you fix it. Very good. So. I'm now following a few people on Twitter, which is, you know, it's wonderful. I follow an awful lot of Irish language people, but also Welsh, Breton, um, Scots Gaelic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now I, I follow a few Scots. So people tweeting in Scots and talking about the work that they've been doing on Wikipedia and perhaps, you know, kind of news stories that are coming out of it. So it, it definitely has turned into a better news story than we would have anticipated. Excellent. That's really good news. And also introduces people to the concept of Scots as a language as well, who might not have previously realised that that was a thing. Like, I'm going to, hands up here, not me. And also the the great thing about it is that it opens up that conversation of, well, why does the language have the reception that it does? Why do people think that it's not a real language, quote unquote, and what makes a real language real? You know, the fact that it has an ISO code, which it does, yeah. does that make it a language and something else not? I mean, there's an Esperanto Wikipedia as well. So there there is a Wikipedia for all of us. I'm, I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> And that was The World According to Wikipedia. I hope you enjoyed it and will join us again in two weeks. In the future episodes, we'll be discussing who owns Wikipedia, how Wikipedia deals with information and fake news, which might be very relevant in coming months, and why does Wikipedia still have a gender gap? You can subscribe on your podcast player of choice or follow us on Twitter at ickle underscore tato and at restless curator. Go to headstuff.org for show notes and more information. all of the Wikipedians I know based on their tolerance for alcohol. We can do that. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.